Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. Before we get started with the podcast this week, if you want to get 15% off your surfing and outdoor gear, look no further. Go to Northcore on the internet and use the code capital letters GRUMPYSURFER15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Also, the WaveKey guys, i.e. Brad Gerlach, has given me a 10% code to use until the 1st of July. Use the code WaveKey Grump to receive 10% off your subscription for your WaveKey technique from Brad Gerlach. Okay, let's get started. On the podcast today, I have a former professional rugby union player that has had amazing success in the English Aviva Premiership, winning two titles with Exeter Chiefs and also gaining caps playing for England. My guest now owns a successful personal training business and lifestyle business here in the UK. So please enjoy my conversation with my friend, Tom Johnson. Tom Johnson, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Ash. Thanks for having us on. Excited to uh, hear a lot about it, so it's uh, great to be on. How are you doing? You've been a busy man at the moment, haven't you, with setting up your business and stuff? Yeah, it's been um, it's been quite a challenging time, I think most people will probably find it, um, but opening a startup business uh with gym and hospitality has had its has had its uh challenges but we're open we've been functioning we've got some really good pts we've got who've managed to keep their client base going throughout the whole lockdown which is great for them and um and now we're welcoming welcoming people to the restaurant how did you uh, manage to secure Winslade Park? So you left playing professional rugby and then you set up your, your own online lifestyle business, but then you managed to secure that. It's quite a, how can I put it? It's a really nice big manor house and you've managed to put put a really decent gym in there. How did you manage to secure all that? So obviously when I left playing rugby, I went into lifestyle coaching and, and essentially personal coaching. Um and got myself a unit. It was just an 800 square unit in the basement of some offices, and got myself some kit and bought um, and built up my client base from there. And I was doing I was doing sort of 30 odd uh, PT sessions a week. Fortunately, with my contacts and people that I played rugby with, and the businesses that went to the rugby, um, quite a lot of those um, guys and girls came and started to be my clients. And the the client, one of my clients was a guy called Mark Edworthy, who owns Burlington Estates uh, with his partner. And about two years, or well, two and a half years later, he put it on my radar saying, look, we want you, we want you to come and run the, the well-being and lifestyle up at Winslow Park. And that's how it sort of evolved. That was, that was the inn. And then the, whole, the Winslow Park is, is being sold as a, as a place for work and, and well-being. Um, with a big focus on the well-being and in terms of food and fitness facilities and the outdoor training and that kind of thing. And we felt it very important that rather than the manor house is gorgeous, but we could have just put offices in there, but it wouldn't actually have been ter- re- really true to what we're trying to sell. So we put a gym in there and a restaurant in there. Um, and that's what's come online in the last couple of months um, with a view to, it's a big it's a big old site, it's got 86 acres. So it's got ton more offices to go in there and a, and a big health club that's that's derelict at the moment that needs re, uh, renovating so there's a lot lot, lot of work ahead um, but the site has got the potential to be fantastic yeah it is, having that much acreage behind to run a gym and circuits and lots of other stuff there you could 
potentially run, you know, fitness camps and, you know, lots of other things, events as well uh, yeah. around the area. Yeah, we've got, so we've already had, we, last summer we've had cricket matches going up there. Um, we want, we've had sports teams going up there. We just started, um, one of the PTs is running ladies boot camps up there. So we want to try, we're trying to be, and, and that was with kids as well. So we're trying to be as inclusive as possible. And essentially it's a, it's a bit of a playground. Whatever people want, we can put on there. Um, we are going to be having um, events, but it's not just the the physical exercises. What say you and me know know, know about it in terms of getting a good old thrashing and or lifting some weights and stuff like that. It's it's great just for walking, walking the dog, walking and having that mindfulness in a place that's just outside Exeter. So I think it caters to a lot of people. Sounds wicked. What I'm going to do is go back a little bit and and talk a little bit about your rugby career, but. I, but before that, I'd like to just focus on a little bit of where you grew up and yeah. how you got into playing rugby as well. It's a bit of a strange story because I, I, you see some people, they go in, they, they're, they're playing from age of six, do all the club stuff, get into counties, get recognised. You know, at school, uh, uh, half of these guys, you look at your Henry Slade and your Jack Knowles, these guys were being touted playing for England at the age of 12 and 14. Um and then went into the academies and there's a really clear line of what they followed and how they got to the top. It's quite straightforward. Mine was a little bit backwards in terms of, um, I was playing scrum half till I was 18. So my, my position was back row. Um, so there's quite a difference between back row and scrum half. I then grew a little bit when I went to uni and start, and then got moved into the, um, moved into the back row. And it wasn't until I was 23 that I got my first contract at Coventry, which was then in division one. So same league as Exeter, but I got I got given like a, a um, I got given a one year contract, and I was very close to uh, to, to signing up with the Paras. So it was really I was my from a military background, so I, very, I was very much going to go into the army, um, and thought right I'll just give that a go for a for a year. So and it and it sort of worked out. I got a second contract, and then the second year at the end of the second year Exeter came in. And then um, came down the M5 at the age of, what was I then? Must be 20, 25 or so, 26. And that was my first con proper serious professional contract. And then a couple of years, promotion, and then into the premiership. It's really weird, isn't it? Because when you talk to somebody that's played professional rugby like yeah. yourself, you're always going to get people, oh, you know, I used to play a bit yeah, of rugby. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I could imagine sometimes you're like, oh, fuck, you know, not another story like this again. <laughs> but I kind of did what you were just saying. So I, I played rugby because I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was fun. It was something to do with my mates. I was fast. I played in the, basically I played in the backs because I was small, fast and stocky. Yeah. You know, I, I could hit the gaps and, and make the breaks, scored a lot of tries, you know, in, in kind of like the amateur career. But when I kind of got to high school, just, just towards the end, I got offered a scholarship playing for Worcester. Oh, nice. So I, I was at the I was at the very sort of like brink of, do I join the yeah. Marines, or do you know I did do I play for Worcester and you know have have them fund me through university mm. basically. I, I was I was at the point probably the same as you where, rugby was turning. I think it was like the late nineties, wasn't it? It was yeah. turning from amateur to semi professional to professional. And I when I started playing county, it really hit me how like passionate people were at it. And if I'm perfectly honest. I just did it to fuck around. Yeah. And yeah. I was good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated training with a passion. No. And whenever I went to it, I only did it because it was to learn the moves 
So, so you when play, I was so in the game. Play, so you could play in the game. You yeah. went to training to play, not just go and improve yourself or whatever. It, exactly. And um, when, when I trained, I really, I really didn't enjoy it. I probably didn't shine when I was playing the game, but then put me on the pitch with a little bit of, you know, pressure. Yeah. And that's where I kind of performed. So I got to the point where when I had to make that decision and I was playing, I was playing for Warwickshire. I can't remember who we were playing against. And the coaches were like really in your face all the time. Like, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And there was some, you know, um, England players or, you know, um, yeah. the, the lower level England players there. And I was competing up against these guys and it just turned, like it turned for me into the point where this is shit. Yeah. Like, what am I doing this for? Did, did you ever get to a point like that where, you know, it, did, were you doing it because it was fun? You enjoyed the whole aspect I never, of it? I've, I've, so I've always, I've always enjoyed it. And I know exactly what you're talking about, but I should imagine when you got to that stage, what were you, 17? 18? 16, 17, yeah. Do you know, and the problem is, is the coaching sometimes at that level, or used to be, was just blah, more, 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 rather than actually trying to sort of nurture and coach kids and make it enjoyable. The big emphasis now is on enjoyment factor. You've got, I've always said, I get people asking, going, all oh, right, what does my, what does my son, what sport should my son be doing, Tom, or my girl doing, Tom, so to give him the best chance? I'm like, yeah, like. 10 years old go and play a whole host of sports and enjoy it and if you want to do it then you'll you'll find you'll find your way you know don't try and live your childhood through them find out that rather than you being a professional don't try and make your kid be a professional and you tend to find you get people like that um i was very fortunate i i went to um university and really got um I played rugby on a Wednesday with the uni boys and then rugby on a Saturday, which paid my way through university in terms of like my hall fees and that kind of stuff. So I just got on the steam twice a week and had the best, and had the best time ever. And I was training, my, my degree pretty much went out of the window because I thought it was the best crack in the world. I was going, I'd go to the gym like Monday, Tuesdays, play Wednesday, recover Thursday, go to the gym, train, playing Friday and go around the country. And the best thing I did was playing for um, a club called Reading. And I went, and you know, I was, I wasn't, I've never, I've never been a big fella, but I was playing against these men and I was like, well, I'm going to just try and run around you because I was quite quick. Um, and I had the best time, I had the best time ever, but, and then went to Coventry. One thing I've always been good at is training and I've always enjoyed, I'd take myself off and run up hills. I, you know, I was always fitter, but that comes back to when I was younger, I was really bad, badly bullied at school and I, because I was much smaller. And I physically started to look after myself. You know, I was in my I was in my bedroom doing press ups and sit ups when I was like fourteen, fifteen years old, and got a lot bigger and stronger as a consequence. And then the bullying um, went from the physical to the mental bullying. But I've always, I've, I think, I've always had that chip on my shoulder, going, "I'm never going to be beaten by. I'm never going to be in a position where I'm weak." And I think that's, I think that's stayed true to me even today. I still train sometimes with a real chip on my shoulder. Because I hate I hate bullying I hate that I hate all that comes with that and I've been there and I know that sh I know that strength is a is a great asset to have. I think being a sportsman as well kind of puts you into let's let's talk it in, like an Americanism. You've got the jocks, you've got the nerds, and yeah, all that yeah, yeah. sort of thing, and you know they've got a big emphasis on uh, American football and wrestling and stuff like that. So like really physical aspects mm. of, uh, of of sport and. 
it kind of puts you a little bit, I don't want to say it puts you on a pedestal above other people because you, you know, yeah. like you were saying, you, you were bullied when you were younger. But it also, that also gives you kind of that mental advantage, I think, to kind of level that weakness potentially that you probably didn't think was a weakness, no. but it brings it back up to that level peg where you go, do you know what? I'm actually bigger and stronger than you. I'm doing I'm doing this now and you know I'm playing a decent level of, of rugby and like do you know what? Fuck yeah, I can yeah. do what I want. I think there's a part of me where I you know, when I went when I left school, I was the best thing ever. I went to uni, I genuinely had the best time ever. I had a great bunch of Pete, great bunch of friends, really enjoyed rugby, got better and better at it. And I think it half of it was because I was in a, a why why I excelled later on wasn't necessarily that I couldn't excel at school or I played a bit of counting stuff, it was actually because I was just happier. And I think when I was happier, I've always played my best rugby at whatever level. I was happy at Coventry and, and I was pretty happy at Exeter. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, you've got to have that enjoyment factor and, and the enjoyment factor towards the end of my career definitely went downhill because I didn't, I, I love training. My, my, my favorite time of the year was actually pre-season. Because I knew I could just thrash myself week for five days a week, recover, and not have to play at the weekend. And then it started. And then when the games came on, that was less enjoyable to me than the actual training side of things. It sounds really strange to me if you, yeah. if you want to make that. You no, know, coming from a professional sportsman, that would put themselves in. Let's talk it like a gladiator's arena. Yeah. You know, you're training during the week to fight for the, mm. you know, fight the game for the weekend and. Kind of saying that kind of does change the perspective of how you look at things a little bit, I think. I think it was because, do you know, it, I think because it comes back to that control, I suppose it comes back to the control of actually during the during the pre-season, everything's in your control. How hard you train, how, how much you recover, um, how well you eat, how, how, how well you sleep. You're in complete control of your 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 week. You're not in control of your... As soon as the games come and someone is picking a team, going, right, you're playing, you're not playing, things have become out of your control. And sometimes you can get into a bad headspace with that. Um, but when you are on the team and things are going well and um, things weren't... Like the 10 years extra, so things must have gone reasonably well. Um, but then you you have that, that huge emotion of stepping out onto a pitch at a weekend with an awful lot riding on it. And it's hugely enjoyable. That buzz, what that buzz was something you just cannot, you can't really explain. Everyone's like, "Oh, what was it, what was it like running out of Twickenham?" And I was like, it's, "It's it's so hard to to put into words what it what it, not necessarily what it meant, but what it what it was like and the intensity with it and and where my head was. I was like, there's a bit of me. I was like, it's a fucking joke. What am I doing here? Do you know? Like, I'm always being quite I'm I'm quite a sarcastic kind of person, and I, and I like. I like taking the piss and I take the piss out myself quite happily. And I sat there going, I remember my first test against South Africa and we run out to these flames going up and we stood there in the line. I was like, well, I don't know, am I going to try and look tough here? I was like giggling away to myself and these massive fucking South Africans came running down this tunnel. I was like, holy fuck, <laughs> this stuff is about, and I was like, this is like, right, just try not to look like a twat, all right? <laughs> And that was it. And then I was. And then as soon as the as soon as the whistle had gone, I was like into it. And I, I don't I don't really remember the crowd. I, th I remember making um, like a turnover within the first couple of minutes. I was like, this is fucking right. We're off. 
and that was it. And it was just a game of rugby. But for the the build up and the tension you get, sorry, the build up and the tension you get beforehand and like the sleepless nights beforehand, um, and just that heart rate for like four days before knowing I was playing, is just like you. It wouldn't have been below one hundred, you know, at rest. And then every time, every time you do, you don't think about it. You don't think about it maybe for thirty seconds. Then it's like, shit, I'm playing rugby at the weekend, and it like in a really good way, but it's it was properly intense. I can imagine that nervous tension can be overwhelming at some point. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about mental health and yeah. how you deal with situations yeah. a little bit later on, but that can also play a, a big, a big part into it. I, I talked with a guy years ago, did a lecture. He was a cognitive behavioral therapist right. or he'd done a course in cognitive yeah, yeah, behavioral yeah. therapy. And he was doing a, a little lecture on um, jujitsu. So like, you know, going into a competition, yeah. talking about your nerves, especially like, you know, if you're going on to an international scale, depending on what grade you are. Mm. He was talking about, are you nervous? Are you scared? How are you going to control your aggression and all this sort of thing? And he was using the euphemisms about being scared. So your, your, your fight or flight mm. comes from the same place. Yeah. It's just how you perceive that. So if you think you're scared, that that scared energy or that scared feeling is actually the same energy as like you're excited. It's all adrenaline. Yeah. The, the adrenaline pumps the whole, the whole, what I love about the human body is the adrenaline is fight or flight. And you got to get, you got to get yourself into that position where it's, it's, it's really funny. I think, I think rugby could do with an awful lot of, um, that mental awareness in terms of what is going through a player's mind. You know, if I knew now what I know now back then, even from even from the S and C side of things and lifting properly and proper technique and actually sitting back and going, what am I trying to achieve? Rather than just trying to flog myself every gym session, rather than thinking more is more, it's definitely more is definitely not more. Um, I, I used to try and relax for for games by listening to classical music in a in a hot bath with with um, Epsom salts, and I loved it. I could sit in a hot bath for like. 45 minutes, read a book, and I, with a bit of, um, uh, a bit of like classical music on it, and I, I'd be happy as Larry. Did you ever have like a pre, a pre-ritual before you went into that to try and control it? Yeah, rituals, and you, you, you know, you get, people talk about pre-rituals, don't they? Pre-match rituals and pre-match routines, going, I've got to put my left foot, the left sock on first. It's there for a reason, because ultimately, if you can control, People's routines gen- are generally based on either a good performance or a good experience. It might be when you're younger and you decided to have a certain pasta meal or a snack or a drink at a certain time before you went to play and you had the you know you had the best game ever. You're going to try and replicate those same situations so your body and your mind is like right, it's go time. I'm in a good place. Right, oh, I've got my. I used to have these dextro sugar sweets. One time I forgot them, right? I was like, I'm fucked. I'm fucked, I can't play. I haven't got my sweets, I'm gonna run out of energy. That's complete bullshit. Uh, absolute, but but when you're in the midst of it and you can't see the wood for the trees, you that's that's just something, that's, a, that's another stressor on something that's already a very stressful situation. You're trying at every, ch- every chance to go, and that's, that's just my, that's just my type, right? I'm a, I'm a person that will turn up to a meeting 10 minutes early because I absolutely hate being late. 
it breaks me. So if I know that I've got to get strapping done and I'm missing my, so I know my pre-match routine starts at, at five, to th- five to two and I haven't got strapped then, that's going to muck up my whole cycle. So I know I've got to get booked in. And it's that whole, I think they, they always say you've got to control the controllables and you can control pre-match routine. And that's why people always revert back to it because it's almost like a safe place. Should have joined the military. Because <laughs> that's what it is. Five minutes early for a five-minute early detail. Yeah, I bet. Let's go a little bit for your career. So I've got I've got a few notes written down here like I do for all the podcasts. So um, career-wise, you were at 2002 to 2003. You were at Chinara FC. Yeah. You then went to Reading for a year. Yeah. Uh, 2004, 2005. 2005, 2007, like you're saying, Coventry. Yeah. Uh, and then 2007, you went to Exeter or you yeah. came down to Exeter yeah. and basically for the next 10 years of your career, um, you were there. But you also played for the Barbars, Barbarians. Yeah. You yeah. played for the Saxons, England Saxons, and also the England uh, main squad as well. So from 2007, Exeter Chiefs were pretty much still on the on the rise, weren't they, to, um, to come into the Premiership. So you were basically there from... Not their infancy, but their their building blocks all the way up to the point where they won their first championship. Yeah, you know, that must have been quite quite a fulfilling achievement to know that you were going from you know the lower leagues all the way up and then actually winning that pinnacle. My best friend is my brother, and he's always been like my. Do you know some people say you've had a great game when you know like your parents say, "Oh, you did really well," and it's like it's bullshit, Dad. Stop lying. <laughs> you know, just say it as it is. My brother is the person who like just keeps me keeps me very has always kept me very grounded on it in terms of going, not in an analytical way, just in a really like just a says it says it says it, but also goes, yeah, I did you did all right. Like if I've had a bad game, it's like probably not your best sort of thing, do you know. But not like oh, you missed this, you did this, you did that. But the same way, if I had a really good game, he just like he just come in and just give us a look, just be like like a nod. It's like yeah, did all right kid sort of thing I'd be like sweet off I go um, and I've always I've always said to him going right I, I just want to find I want to play at a level where I'm not good enough and I, I, I you know I went up from chin I was like this is all I can do this level went up to the next league next league that uh, was um, National League 3 South and then and I was like yeah fine I can play at this level next one's Coventry um, National t- uh, uh, Division 2 and then I went, although I went in the same division, I went up to, into a better team to go, right, let's see. If, the only way for me was to get into the premiership was pretty much to play my way into it. It wasn't, there was a couple of sniffs from other clubs, but it was always going to be Exeter. Um, and then when we did that, it was like, I can act, I'm in the premiership, living the dream. Well, I beat Gloucester first game. It's like, shit, I can do this. This isn't, this is, it's not as big a jump as what some people perceive it to be. There's a lot of hard work that goes in there, but it wasn't a case of, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a fluke that we stayed up and we weren't that different players. In terms of what I think I was as a player, I don't think I was that different to the year before, two years before. But there's just, you you, you rise to the challenge and then it's a case of, right, how do we stay in the premiership? Don't forget for us, like I was, what was I, what was I 20, 27, 28? I'm like thinking, right, we're on, we're on, um, championship wages here, which isn't an awful lot of money. Um, it's de- certainly not enough to carry on going to your 35 unless you've got another job and we're full-time extra. 
So it was really much a case of this is my last chance to loon. Um, and the, the, the bonus is you go, you, 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 you're essentially going to double your salary in one game. Like when we won the championship, it was like, fuck me, there's a, there's, there's a proper, this proper life-changing, not life, but there's a life-changing opportunity about to happen here if we, if we seize it. And then, and you couple that together, all the emotion and wanting to play at that, that high level, it's, the, mo the, the motivation was absolutely sky high. I mean, if we couldn't have won that game, we wouldn't have won any game, I don't think. That must have also come from, you know, a slow change in the way that the team was, was built up. So the culture must have changed dramatically from the point where, you know, you started in 2007, you won the first championship in what, 2009? 2009. 2009, yeah. So... What was what was that culture change, or or were you when you joined, had that already started to be implemented, and you were just kind of part of it moving along? There was always a good culture. There's always been a good culture at Exeter. It's always been grounded. Like you look at the past players, there's some really good blokes there. Like some really good fellas that when I joined the club, they were near the end of their career, and they're like, this is, this is how it's done. But it wasn't. It's not. It's not rocket science. You know, it's actually been decent to people the majority of the time. You go in there and you say hello to the cleaners at 7.30 in the morning and you talk to the chef who's cooking your food or serving your food or whoever's, whoever's whichever physio guy's in there. And it's like, of a groundsman, you go, you call him by his name, you go and have a chat with him. Not because not you have to, but because it's, 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 a, it's nice to do and it's something that makes the whole environment um, work it keeps people grounded so you don't get these um, you don't get like the, the airy fairy guys who just think they're better than everyone else you're very very quickly brought down to earth if you if you step out if you step out of line if, or you think you're too too big for your boots and it's always a player player led drive which is great and that and, and, and that's how it should be and then Rob's Rob's always very been has been very good about managing that uh, that side of things and he also brought in a really I think a lot of people sort of forget about Ali Heifer a little bit. Like he he transformed how we played um, in that first year in the Premiership when we got up there. That that we played Championship rugby to win the Championship, and as soon as we came in for pre-season for the for the Premiership, our, our structure completely changed. They were like, "Look, guys, we're going to get absolutely nailed if we um, if we carry on playing as we're playing. We've got to we we've got to change. We 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 worked harder and harder." But we just actually start playing. We actually start playing more rugby. And the great thing with the Premiership is there's a lot of rugby played. If you look at the Championship, it's very much, um, or it was, it was very much sort of big eight forwards, a big big pack, just smashing away, smashing away. Now it's a lot. Now it's a lot different. Did Rob Baxter really make a big difference to the team? Do you think, or do you think it was the people that he brought in to to also help with with facilitating the coaching, the conditioning, and all that sort of thing? Well, no, it was all a bunch of bootnecks, so definitely not for the conditioning side of things, bastards. All they did was have us humping up and down Exmouth Beach. Um, yeah, because you had, who did you have? We had Twig, Twigzy. Twigzy. Tweety. Uh, Coxie turned um, up as well, didn't he? Paddy Anson. Paddy, Paddy was a great lad. Paddy was brilliant for me. He just, he was, he was lunatic, but, but I've always loved training, so I was like, give me more. I wanted to just, I just wanted to train with him. And get his, My limitations were my size, and so I could do something about that. I could get bigger, but I just needed to train um, and learn how to train properly. Um, I, I, 
if anything, I massively overtrained when I was playing, but I only understand that now. Um, the problem with pad and those and the and the Tweety to a lesser extent, but Twigsy, some t- and Twig Twigs got a lot better. It was more is more, and I wish I wish someone would grab me by the collar and just go sit the fuck down. This is this is the this is what's happening physiologically. This is what's happening from a body ab- a- adaptation. This is where you need to improve. These are your weaknesses. Here's a here's a here's an off season program to learn how to squat. To learn how to deadlift, I was like, I would be just on track pulling stuff because I didn't, I didn't flare my back up or anything like that. My back problem was because I didn't look after myself, and that was, and that was. It's funny how um, it all comes round. Um, but going back to sort of Rob, he's absolutely, he's been absolutely key to it. Um, there's no getting away from that. He's got some very good people around him, but his his vision and what he understands is just good honest hard rugby is sometimes you hear him you hear him talking in interviews you're like you know it's just it's common sense what you're saying he just says it in a very black and white way that makes a lot of sense it's like actually he's not making excuses he's saying as it is and giving credit where credit's due so i've never been the person that follows sport per se i mean i'm heavily into my surfing so yeah. i watch all that but it's kind of a thing i put on and put it on in the background you're going to like this so I used to love playing. If I put a rugby game on the TV, I will probably nine times out of ten just fall asleep watching it. That's rugby, <laughs> that's rugby league yeah, yeah, and yeah. union. It's only really recently, probably since I've been down in the southwest since two thousand and four, yeah. started really watching union again. Round about when you know the Chiefs started winning, yeah. winning games and, and and won the Premiership for the first time. So I've never really been that heavily involved in. In, in rugby in, in that way like following it so when uh, when you start hearing like local names like that and, and other local boys you know who've stayed like yourself with Exeter for 10 years and I think I watched a documentary What I can't remember what documentary it was it was on BBC Sport and it was basically just like people like yourself who'd been who stayed with the club and had been through everything with them and what I liked about it was that Nothing had changed yeah. from from the days when you started winning the games to winning the Premiership and and doing really well in different competitions. Nothing's changed. The mindset has been there because the reason why I say it like that is you look at football teams. You know Leicester City, City for instance, they win the Premiership one season and then they finish the middle the next. Whereas Exeter have always been sort of like in the top three to five places for a very very long yeah, time yeah, yeah. and that just goes down to one the player culture which we, what we're talking about yeah. the coaching staff and actually people wanting to be there and play there because sometimes you just don't get that no, I don't think no I think also the the game plan is very very good from Exeter the coaches work very hard in terms of tweaking a lot of things like there's a lot of things that when you play the game you see the amount of detail that go do you know the if you look at a ball carry and if that ball carry gets turned over, um, is it's very often not his fault unless he's unless he's got himself isolated. A lot of it is to do with how far away his support is. But you'd um but the coaches are very good at trying to manage situations. This, this is just a small example of making sure when they're coming off a, a ruck, there's always gonna be two or three forwards around the um, around the ball carrier. 
So then they're, they're, they're never isolated. When you when they, when there's only one or when he's on his own, they'll get isolated and turned over. And they're very good at picking up detail and moving it. And um, they they spend a lot of time. Do you know they're they're first in the car. They're in the car park half six most mornings doing the video analysis. The amount of analysis that goes on to make people better, and you can see how these guys are very good players. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we haven't got a team of individual stars. They play very, very well collectively because they're very dr well drilled and very well coached. And they all understand what the greater good is. They all understand that, do you know, if I make a tackle and I get my feet really quick, that's going to help the team. Whereas what I can do, a lot of you see other teams, they'll make a big tackle and they'll, they'll lie on the wrong side for maybe five seconds. It might even be three seconds longer. But over time, that is just going to wear and stretch and stretch the team to a point where there'll be a line break and it's that you see someone fighting for you you're going to fight for them it is it's 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 very it's a one of the reasons i think it's done very well is we are very very closely linked with the marines and what they stand for and we've done a lot of pre-season stuff with you guys and it's we're not very dissimilar people it's just like crack on lads let's just do it let's do it as a team this is this is the best plan we've got at the moment we'll try our hardest if it works out great if it doesn't, it's back to the drawing board. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit, uh, a little bit more in depth about you know your time at the Chiefs as well. So one of my friends he asked me to ask you this question: was who was the best boozer on the Chiefs team? Oh, it's <sighs> you can say yourself if you want. <laughs> I don't. When I when I do go, I'm all right, I, 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 I'll back myself. Um, the worst boozer was probably Brett Sturgis in terms of just got absolutely giddy as anything straight away and was just loose, like fantastically loose, but <laughs> loose. But it could be loose after half a pint. I'm like, come on, Brett, you've got to have a couple. You should have a few more than that. Big Dave Ewers is, is very good and he was an absolute monster. He's got hollow legs. He can just pour it away and he's always... So we have these team... We or oh, we used to. Um, they still go on these team building trips. So they'll go off to Magaluf and have three days just a three-day absolute team building and it will be get a bus at 4 30 drive up to bristol and it's boozing from then until they get back um and you can you can bet your bottom dollar um big dave is going to be there or thereabouts or used to be when i was playing he's probably changed his way now who are the main characters there because well again going back to sort of like a personal when I played, you yeah. always had like your characters yeah. that were normally like your halves that were kind of like the smart asses or like they tried to be funny probably because they were making up for their lack of physical prowess because they were skinny little battles. <laughs> you know, they're going to get battered or something. But, you know, who were the main characters when you were playing? So Kai, Kai Horseman is a good, very, very good friend and was a, re was a real good character. you got but you got characters like Phil Dolman who's less... Who's less maybe in the limelight, but just really quick-witted and and just, you know, just a just a great lad. You'd always have a good crack with him. Brett Sturgis, me and him had a little bit of, like a bit of a ding-dong battle in terms of I got him once with um, a fish face, so we used to get bits of food, but it would be in from training and have a bit of ham or a bit of hummus, and you just walk past him, smash him in the face, would go hummus face and walk off, and he got me with like a lamb chop. He get me with all kinds of food, and one time I got him with a big side of salmon like a proper walk behind him the whole changing was in on it um i've got the video so i have to show you at some point but he doesn't see it coming someone gets his attention walk up behind him with a big i'm talking about like two foot of salmon 
and fully unleash it into his face. Um, and that's that's probably one of my one of my highlights of like the changing room. <laughs> that's a heavy bit of meat right well, there yeah, too. With with Kai because Kai was quite old. Um, he'd come in and he's we. There's always like a sponsorship around, or people you'd get freebies all over the place. Do you know whether it's for boxer shorts or for I don't know, deodorant or something like that? There's always a bit of freebie lying around. And Kai was unbelievable at taking boxer shorts. There's a company called Oddballs, um, so a charity. I don't know if you heard of them. Yeah. Um, but we used to get boxes from them and for a month and a half we took after every train he trained in them and then he'd put his kit in the bag and off he'd go but whilst he was in the shower we'd take the chain, the, the pants that he changed in and hid him in the ceiling like just one of those um, those lift up panels and he came in like after about a month he's like right which fuck someone's licking my fucking pants and he'd, he'd got we'd, we'd taken like 25 pairs of pants and all he'd been doing is like going into another place and finding some <laughs> he'd actually gone and bought some more he's like I, I don't know where I kept losing them man that's amazing I'd like to talk a little bit about your international career because I said before you played for the Barbarians and all the way up to like the main you know the England A team as well it was from my point of view and doing a little bit of research into it watching a few YouTube videos yeah. like you do it seemed it was quite a rocky road for you. I mean, how, how did it all play out for you and how did you feel about it in the end? Right, I never, never, never expected to play for England. Um, had a really good, the first season was really good in the Premiership for me. I played, kept, kept my place, played and went on the Saxons tour where I met with Stuart Lancaster. I had a really successful um, Churchill Cup. Played the next season, played in the Barbarians at the end of the season and then it was towards South Africa. And just got a phone call from Graham Rancher. I was meant to be on my best friend Stag do in Las Vegas. And he's like, right, you're meeting up on Monday. I was, I was literally flying out that afternoon to Vegas. So I went for two days on a Stag to Vegas and had to get an early flight back. Rocked up on Monday. And thankfully it was the week. There wasn't a game at the weekend, but it was it was for all the people that weren't in the Premiership Finals. So so I met up. And I loved it. I loved the tour. Um, I, had a, I had a really successful tour. And... Do you know what I got? The Autumn Internationals were were really disappointing. Played well against Fiji, and then we got we got good smacking against Australia. And I think I just wasn't I wasn't in a very good place mentally. I was playing. I was really really happy with my form for the club, but just felt a little bit right. I'm out of my ear after one one bad performance and, and got hung up on it rather than necessarily just not you look at the squad now or teams now if I look back um, you see people getting rotated in and people come out of favour and, and back into favour and that's generally the process I had an opportunity and I don't reckon I stuck it out for long enough I also got to the stage where I was playing well again but after the autumn internationals and, and then had a pretty pretty bad MCL injury that really really took it out of me and I was you know what I was 30 um, I was 30 odd years old and then still stayed in the setup for the next two years went my final my final test was against um, New Zealand and so to face the hacker I was like Do you know what I'm pretty 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 happy with that as a as a checkout and uh, played eight played eight times got to tour went to Italy um, had a great crack even just playing it playing at Twickenham is, is is like a childhood dream and I've definitely got to live that but um, I'd obviously love more, but I'm pretty happy with eight, to be honest with you. I've got an interesting statistic that I thought, well, I thought it was interesting anyway. So you were the first Exeter Chiefs player to play for England 
in 2012 since 1972. Yeah, no, it's mental, isn't it? That's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. I mean, did that get... Yeah. Throwing at you a little bit, or was it a big thing for you? It no, it wasn't a big thing for me. It was just like I, I was, I was over the moon. I'm very proud of that. That's a really nice stat, and I'm very proud of that. Other people could could have got it before me, but I was just a lot of it is about timing. Do you know if Stuart Lancaster wasn't ahead of the Saxons set up, and then Martin Johnson didn't have such a bad World Cup, then he gets outed. Do you know you got? There's a lot of things that have got to come together. But all you can do is that control that controllable. I was playing well. Um, Exeter were playing well for a tight side that had just got promoted. Um, we we're playing an, atta- an, an attractive attacking style of rugby. Um, there's a few injuries out. There's um, like Tom Croft had had a had a big neck injury, I think. So do you know what? It's, it, it is all about timing, isn't it? Life and an opportunity. And I got given an opportunity, and I definitely seized it for for the time that that I was involved. I loved every bit of it. Staying on the rugby sort of line of uh, a little bit longer, what were some of the funniest moments that you had playing rugby for whatever team? That I can talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, do you know what? I just, I really, I think it's, this, it's, it's 100% the social side of things and like the hotel side of things. Like you go on an away trip and you'd be, you would stay in like a Premier Inn or something like that. Someone would hear like a couple rattling in the in the room next door, and it'd be like, "Right lads, there's a couple rattling to us." So we'd like, but all uh, like pile in, just like just sit there giggling and listen, to, like <laughs> like just just like just just because we could, and just because it's just like, well, this we're in a shitty hotel on a Friday night. Um, we need to find some way to entertain ourselves. Again, Brett Sturgis was all, often the, the butt of many jokes, like. After games, you can quite often get like a like a bad stomach, and you you weren't allowed to sh- you weren't allowed to shit on the bus. There's no like there's a fifteen pound fine if you if you went to the, went for a shit on the bus. So he he pulled the bus over on the on the on the um, hard shoulder on the M4, and was just and emptied his guts. And I'm talking like when you're having like paracetamol and and caffeine tablets and stuff and a lot of drink and a lot of sugar. There's only there's only going to be one winner there, and he's suddenly sort of fall victim to it pull over to the side of the road it's like what is going on here we're grown men and he's having to, having to shit on the side of the bus um on the side of the m5 uh, with the bus pulled over i do that now <laughs> it's just it's things like the you know it's things like the fish face or just the constant day-to-day are you still one of these people that follows rugby do you still are you still like an advocate of it just you know do you, do you watch all the premiership games and, and the england games or i i'm not i'm not i used to be like when i finished playing rugby i was dead i was like, like i'm absolutely done and i was um and i started to, i've definitely watched more in the last year and a half or so i'm not too i'm not too far i think it's a brilliant i think it's a brilliant game i think it can do an awful lot especially at grassroots level i think it's really good for kids and families to do um I just, you know, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me in terms of watching massive games, and um, I'd, I'd much prefer to be out with the kids, to be honest with you. Yeah, so you kind of like conform into the a little bit of what I was talking about before. You're more of like a a doer than a watcher. That sounds quite sexual, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> you weirdo. Um, yeah, I th- I think I think yeah, I think I um. 
I think it depends on the match. I think it depends on the match. I really, I really enjoyed watching Exeter and Leinster play, but I think it's more a case of if it's on, I'll sit down and watch it. Um, if I'm about, or do you know, I fancy watching it. Whereas before, when I was playing rugby, I'd watch rugby all the time as well and watch all the games. And half half the reason why I don't want to watch it, we used to spend hours and hours and hours doing video analysis. So it's just like, oh, this is dull. This is dull. And you see it again when in the games, it's like us rucks and tackles. It's like, oh, it's pretty dull. Just <laughs> seeing then, the same thing over and over again, pretty much. Yeah, right? yeah, to a certain degree. But then um, teams like Bristol, I'm really enjoying watching them improve and get better because actually they've done they haven't they've done something quite similar to what we did come up from the premiership and then have built and built and built and i get i get a lot of joy out of watching guys i played with not not the chiefs that were that were let go by the chiefs because everyone down here is like it's chiefs it's chiefs it's chiefs and it's brilliant but some there's you know for everyone that makes it how many how many fall by the wayside and to see some of these these kids that I've trained with and played with and think, you know what, they're really good players. They've gone on to international stuff at other clubs. And it's like, fair play, you, you know, you know, you're stuck with it. Things work, you could have easily just jacked it in. Um, but you've gone off and you've worked hard and, and you've got your rewards. And I always admire, like, hard work. So in 2017, you kind of retired. What was the lead up to that? Because it kind of been an easy decision to go, do you know what? I've just had enough. There must have been sort of like some some little links that kind of tailed into you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically it was, in. it was three, basically two two years or so of, of not playing. I didn't I didn't play nowhere near as much rugby as I wanted to. And what I thought I was capable of and the coaches obviously had their their views and their and, and their opinions and, and, and rightly so, but I was locked into a three-year contract, and um, the, the the big thing that set it off was I had a, quite a, quite a bad neck injury. So I, when I came back from um, New, Ze- New Zealand tour, I was like, right, my, I've got my you know I was driving along and my arm would get pins, I get pins and needles, um, I get any any sort of any um, extension of my neck, I would get shooting pains and both arms would go numb. I like. This isn't right, and the, we, I had a falling out. With the, I had a bit of a falling out with the physio, saying, "Look, get. I need to go and see someone about this." Um, they're like, "We can rehab you." I didn't trust them as much as I should have done, um, and I basically said, "Right, I'm, I'm going to go and I, I want to go and see a surgeon because this is, you know, you wake, you're not sleeping, you're constantly waking up in pain, um, and this is during pre-season." And I tried like a couple, a month or so of prehab and haven't got anywhere with it, and then when I ended up going the, the, the um, specialist came and went. Yeah, you've got you got massive compression at C C five C six. We're going to operate. And as soon as I operate, as soon as the operation happened, I was like, oh, brilliant! But it's a three month it's a three month um, rehab program to get training. Um, and I never really I never really played since properly since then. I had a couple of I had a couple of runs, um, but did never really got back it never really got back into it. And from that point on, I was like. Yeah, I'm looking forward to retiring. I'd done, I'd, I'd achieved a fair bit, um, and I just wasn't, I, you know, turning up to train. I've always loved training, and you know, when if I'm not enjoying training, then I don't really want to be there. So it was. I knew the great thing was I knew it wasn't the case of oh, this rugby's going really well, really well, really well, brilliant. Oh, I'm going to retire. It was, you know, driving in, going, I don't want to be here. 
so I knew. And that the beauty with that it was it's a it was a, a clean cut decision. It wasn't a case of should I go and find another club or anything like that. It was like I need I knew I wanted to move on to another career. I'm better off leaving it in a good state of health rather than trying to chase. You get some people they chase off, off to the south or to France, go and pick up a one or year two contract. What I had done, I'd had a really good, um, I'd had a testimonial in my final year, and I'd networked reasonably well. So no, no, no decent amount of people in Exeter and and the and Devon in the area, and I love it here. I absolutely love it here. It's a brilliant place, brilliant for the family. There's some amazing people here. We've got. You know some of the best food and some of the best produce going in the in the whole country. I'm like, you got the moors twenty minutes or half an hour away. You're right by the sea. Um, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to move anywhere else. I've made a network here. I'm going to try and run my business from here. What was your mental state coming out of coming out of that? Because I can imagine, you know, we talked about it before we we turned the microphones on about the military and and being in a team sport, especially in, the, in a professional yeah. environment, is very similar because, well, rugby is very male-dominated because you're with, a ma- you know, your male teammates yeah. or whether it's females or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for, for me, being in the Marines is, you know, male-dominated yeah, yeah. as well. So coming out of that must have been quite a scary prospect. I mean, did you have anything set up like what you're doing now? I mean, we'll talk about it in a minute. Did, did you know you were going to go into that? My mental issues came... Sort of probably six months before when I really didn't want to be there any longer, but I couldn't get out of it. And I was in a real, a real state of depression. I went and saw counselors and everything about it. And the RPA were really good and hooked me, hooked me up with um, some proper, proper advice. And like I said, counselors and meetings to talk it, talk it through. Um, you know, just how I felt, how I felt I'd been, how I personally at that time felt being treated and. Um, I just need. I almost needed someone to just to hear what I had to say a little bit, and just to, just to talk to someone. Whereas it was all bottled up, bottled up, bottled up. All that frustration of a year and a half or so of not playing. Um, and, but I was, I was, um, I was looking forward to the day to retire because I knew then it was like a fresh start. And things would be in my control, and it comes back to that whole pre-season why I enjoyed pre-season so much was like everything was in my control um well, during the playing times things weren't in my control you know I didn't I couldn't control the, the being on the team sheet or not um whereas now I was like right I'm free I can I felt free and and didn't go back to watch a game for like a year and a half so you know, everyone was like I come up to the Chiefs I was like I'm I'm fine I'm really quite I'm, I'm quite all right with being away from rugby um and I also had so much I suppose I had so much pent up energy and frustration that I wanted to go straight into this and to be, I've always said I wanted to be a really good personal coach or striving to be the best personal coach I can be who also used to play for Exeter in England rather than be, oh, that's the ex-rugby guy who also owns a gym. Do you know, from, from how, I, how I'm perceived, I want, it, I, want to, I want to push harder with the career I'm in at the moment to try and be that best best person or create the best facility for coaches and for clients my my big driver is trying to put the client at the very top and then put everything in all the systems in place to make that person's life as as, as best as possible hence why the life coaching lifestyle coaching um is uh, is what it's sort of about did you know that you were going to fall into that because you know you, you see a lot of people go into personal training 
you know, it, it's kind of a, a big, big thing. I mean, I see it from my point of view because, you know, my job in the Marines is a physical training instructor. So, you know, basically what you're doing, but for military guys, you know, nutrition, training programs, whether it's deploying away or yeah. training for sports, organizing events, or, or all the stuff, that, but basically like a red coat, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but training people. Um, was it something that you kind of really wanted to do or as you were, had those injuries and you saw what the physios and you understood about nutrition through going through that system because of your injuries was that kind of how you how you fell into that i think i've always, like I said, i've always enjoyed the training aspect so i've always needed to do i wouldn't have been very good at a nine-to-five job sat at a desk i needed i know and the biggest advice i'd give anyone especially coming out of rugby or the military is to do something that they know they can get out of bed for in the morning and actually and, and not you know, some people, some rugby players go chasing the money because, you know, you're on in the Premiership, you're on a decent salary. But stepping away from that is you're not. Some people try and replace that salary with the new salary and just try and find a job that's going to get them to the same lifestyle that they've had, and it won't. Um, you've got to try and to get there. You've got to find something that you truly enjoy and truly believe in. Um, so I knew I like I enjoy training. Um, I've always been quite empathetic and do you know when you do your psych assessments at school they go right what what do you know what trades or what 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 um job do you think would be best it was like always looking after like looking after people it was like main main one I was like oh, I don't want to, no, I don't want to be a carer <laughs> but ultimately I've now got um a really good really good client base where I I basically counsel, I counsel as much as I'd coach people and train people and sort of nutrition and you hear you get to know people and you can you can affect people when you when you actually truly get to know them because no one knows what's going on in through someone's head like you look at yourself or me you're you're a boot neck I'm ex rugby player we're both physically fit but so we were like oh yeah that those those guys must be alright they don't know what's going on inside our heads they don't know what angst you have or what pains or grievances I have. And it's those kind of things that I find the most fascinating from the mental side to actually make someone better or the better version of themselves. Do you find it's an age thing, though? Because I, I found as I've got older, I didn't really give a shit when I was younger because it was all, everything, I mean, look, rugby's kind of a little bit similar to what I would say surfing is because it's quite a, it's quite a selfish, mm. selfish sport. Because Every sport's selfish. Because it's all about you. Mm. Technically, the team. No, no, it's not. It's not. You are self-employed. When you're when you are playing sport, you are doing the best for yourself. If you can play the best of your ability, yeah, you're gonna improve the chance of that team winning. It is a hundred percent all about you. And everyone say about everyone says it's the team. And yes, you've got to do the right thing within the team. But you need to do. You know, when you're doing a line-out lift, the lifter's job is to lift that person as high as they can so they can catch the ball. So that person's got to do the best they can job to do, they can do to get that guy 12 foot in the air, whatever it is. Um, it's really small things. Every every um, every skill set has to be done to the best of your ability. And to do that, you've got to be selfish to practice it, to get spend time practicing it and make, make it an absolute art. So my kind of point is really that do you feel like as you've got older, your empathy about how other people are perceiving things, like what you were talking about with you know your client base and 
you know, what I, what I said about, you know, what I'm looking to do when I leave the military and, and what my mum does, because people don't come to her to see her to get a treatment necessarily. They come to see her just for a bit of mental well-being to vent, to tell yeah. them about their shitty week or what, what yeah, they've done. Their good bad or, relationships or whatever. Yeah, or if they're lonely, you know, they might be coming to you, one, to, you know, maintain their physical fitness and, and all that, but it's mental well-being because they're like dropping that information on you too. It's like mental mental well-being for me is something that I never really... I've obviously suffered depression, um, seen seen um, quack about it, um, sought lots of helps. I, I will happily discuss, open, openly discuss to anyone about the trials and tribulations that I went through in that stage, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, that things are right just because... I, I suffered from a bit of depression. You, your men, your mental health is so so important for making, making, making small decisions day to day that have a huge impact on your, um, on your outcome over your lifestyle and like uh, over your future. People don't realize it's the day to day. If it's like sleep, when getting people to try and sleep, that's my big thing. My big drive with my clients is trying to get. I'm not worried about the food. I'm worried about sleeping. If the people are saying they're getting eight hours of good quality sleep. We can then address the food because you can't get up in the morning having had four, three hours sleep or four hours sleep. And I said, right, I'd like you to try and cook yourself a three egg omelette with some um, mushrooms and tomatoes. They'll be like, piss off, Tom. I'm going to have a bowl of Kellogg's, right? Because I cannot, I cannot compute. My brain is too fried to compute what it takes gonna, to make that food or to go, right, well, you need to meal prep the day before. And they come in from a 12-hour day and it's like any food at that time it's going to be quite good for you because you're just so screwed and it's trying to work out it's trying to it's trying to trying to unravel all that and then we can talk about the exercise and then we can talk about the food and then we can talk about walking and stuff like that but there's some real basics that people get very wrong um with trying to lead a, a, a sort of a, a well-being and or a lifestyle driven life well i try and always get people to do is time to time i get people coming through my door and saying how can I lose weight or how can I do this? Nine times out of 10, they already know how to do it because what I normally try and do is I try and get the information out of them because then they're telling themselves what they're doing. But one of the key things that I always find, especially with nutrition and, and fitness is if people want to lose weight, they don't understand the concept of that your energy output has to be greater than the energy input, i.e. if you eat shitloads, you're going to have to do a lot of exercise. Let's say, for instance, what the, the daily average um, calorie intake for a male is between 2,002 and uh, 2,200 calories, roughly. If you don't do anything all day and you burn like 500 calories or 1,000 calories, sat behind your desk on a computer and then you go home and you smash a pizza and some ice cream and all that sort of stuff, that's nearly like 3,000, 4,000 calories. And then they start getting fat or getting some health issues. And then they come to you and say, well, you know, I'm doing this, this, and this. Until they, you can actually get them to think about that real simple equation that your energy input, your output has to be greater than that to achieve that. And I, and I find that's one thing that I always, it always kind of makes me laugh is that, I mean, do you do food diaries and stuff like that with yeah. people sometimes? Yeah. Food, di food diaries is a classic because people are never honest. Nine times out of 10, they're not honest. So they go away and they say, right, I've ate this, 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 and this. 
And do you remember um, what was the TV show where it was uh, like oh, secret eaters? Yeah. So like they gave these people these food diaries and they put all the cameras in the room and they'd write this stuff down. There's so many journals about that in terms of, but people in the journals say it, um, I dig them out, but they, the stats are ridiculous. People overestimate how much they, um, how much they exercise and underestimate how much they eat. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You can't you can't lose weight unless you're in a caloric deficit, right? If that's what you wanted to do. And this this my one of my things is people go, I'm, I want to lose what whatever wherever you are on that spectrum. If you need and there's lots of there's lots of young people with eating disorders that need to put weight on. They need to understand that how how to put weight on. It's it's exactly the same mechanism. Um, I find it's all all it all comes down to accountability, right? But there's an awful lot of, it's easy to say, right, you just got to do that. But there's, if you're going through a divorce, if you've got stress coming through your eyeballs, you, you the problem is not the accountability or the energy versus the energy out. The, the problem is that stress and what that stress is going to do to you and what's causing you not to make. Because, you know, you talk about it, if you talk about black, black and white, yeah, there is energy and energy out, but we're not. We are humans and we do have massive emotions. For someone who is stressed through their eyeballs to, to get eight hours of good quality sleep, get up in the morning, as everyone predicts, go right, should get, try and get eight hours sleep. Try and get, get, when you get up, have a pint of water, you know, and then have a protein rich breakfast. Take a snack with you that you prepared, prepared the night before. You get an email, a work email, or you've got a stress, you, you've got a massive load of stress that's causing cortisol all the time. You're not physically going to be able to do that. That's why you need to. That's why you need to reset your lifestyle to think. Oh, right, this is a stressor. How do I store that stressor? My relationship is a stressor. I'm in the wrong relationship, or I need to go see some counselling to sort that relationship. Or my work is stressing me. I've got a lady who's an accountant. Like I know for um, March that March month, she's going to pretty much eat what she wants. You know, if I can just try and keep her on the straight and narrow, and we put she puts on a little bit of weight. I'll be over the moon with that because it's year end coming. She's got clients to get through. She's doing 14 hour days pretty much for the next couple of months. It's never going to be a case of, can you meal? Can you, can you spend Sunday cooking please? So you can meal prep for the week. It's like piss off Tom. <laughs> There's so I totally, I, t I totally understand the, I totally understand the dynamics in terms of losing weight, but I'm interested in what's stopping. If it's that easy, why people, why pe can't people do it? half of the problem is the education they don't they don't actually understand so education is a massive part of it but half of it is also a lot of people are crying inside a lot of people are very especially coming out of covid a lot of people are very upset and that's what i want to try and sort i think one of the things that you touched on a little bit there is is people's mental state i mean we have just talked about that quite quite significantly but one thing uh, I mean, I'll compare it to, to to my wife. So she's started doing bits of lifting now. So she's one of these people that has gone through lots of stages of doing different like exercises, like yeah. circuits, like hit training. Yeah. Um, she was a she was a swimmer when she was younger, competitive swimmer, really really good. Could have been national. Got to a point where she just didn't want to do it anymore because she was just sick of it. Yeah, because there's so many bloody hours. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so, so the hours Early and morning. stuff yeah, that yeah, she yeah, went yeah. into it, you know, it's just broken. So she's one of these people that 
sticks to something. But what she was doing previously was like calorie counting and stuff. And when she eventually stopped doing it, and now she's just doing like strength training, now she feels stronger. She's following a program. I didn't write it. She wouldn't let me do anything like that for her. Of course she wouldn't. No, I'm right. I still can't get just to do a program. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but she's doing something now and she's not, I mean, to, an, to a certain extent, we're eating more healthy, yeah. but we're not like, watching what we're at yeah we're doing those odd like little takeaway days with the kids or yeah. kids or whatever but it's not like significantly playing on the mind mm. to make it like like you're saying a stress output to be like yeah, yeah. right sunday i've got to make broccoli and chicken for f- six or seven days while i'm at work or make five meals per day for that to, to hit the points that i want to do because that then turns something exercise should be enjoyable to something that's a chore a hundred percent with you i work with people and i say uh, i say right you can you can try you know you can try the whole um my fitness pal and some people get on it and they bloody love it right and they're like right I, it holds me accountable i love the routine i'm on it right and some people like you said it's just another massive stressor when they're when they're, they're trying to count count the calories i think this also gets lost in it is everyone should do what's right for them so some people like calorie counting, so they can do it. Some people don't like doing it, so they shouldn't do it. Some people can, Some people are really good at keto diet. Some people are good at Atkins, right? Ultimately, all those things are trying to put you in a state, in a caloric deficit. But if you can, if you can try and, and what I love about that is um, what Shana's doing is she's enjoying lifting, right? She's enjoying lifting. She's going to then start to make better choices subconsciously because she's like, you know, she's trying to have fun. She's, she's trying to get stronger. She's working towards a goal. She's got a program. She knows what she's doing. She's going to get, she's not going to sit there and go, I can't have that brownie. Um, but subconsciously, she's probably, she might have that brownie, but then she might take something out that, or have like a couple of drinks less in the evening on a Friday or Saturday or something like that. Subconsciously, she's going to be making healthier choices because she's in a good state mentally. What breaks me is when people, and what breaks me is when people exercise to burn calories you know they start their calorie they start their apple watch go right we're off tom let's do as much as we can i'm like i'm not here to i'm not here to burn if you want to burn calories if you if that's how you want to do it training is probably one of the least effective ways of burning calories because you train for like five hours a week yeah five days you'd do an hour a day you'd be pretty that's quite a serious trainer for me right? That's 3% of the time of that week. So like what you can do is get your knee up, get walking, be generally more active, and then watch what you eat. That's how you're going to burn calories much better than trying to smash it all in one session. Yeah. And then, um, and then think you've done an amazing job, go and sit behind the desk for the rest of the day and not actually, and, and then, and, and really lower your, your neat or your non-exercise activity. Um, activity thermogenesis by then eating well and eating whole foods and non-processed foods it's going to fill you up and the chance side is going to keep you in that caloric deficit ultimately you've got to want to do it there's got to be a drive you know it's not easy you get there's chocolate in the house have you got a drive to stay to not go into that cupboard and not have it and some people want that quick fix whereas a lot of it's like look it's going to take months and months and months and years of 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 hard work you didn't get fatter in a, in a couple of couple of months you're not going to get you're not going to lose it in a couple of months i completely agree with you you know we've both just sort of been tethering on the edges of it you know i said it earlier it's all about an enjoyment level 
you can't. It's the sustainability every day of the week. Yeah, it's like being in the job that you hate. If you keep doing that over and over again, there's a certain point where you're just going to, you know, you're going to snap or break and you're not going to put the maximum amount of effort in to achieve what you want to. So if that's going to happen, just completely bin it and go and do something different. Whether that's like, if you were going to the gym and doing a program and you've got someone like you that's telling you that, well, you need to say something straight away and say, well, you know, this sucks, I'm not enjoying it, can we do something else? Because there's always something else. Yeah, 100%. Do you know what, I, do, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think there is always, there's always an exercise that, or a way to exercise or to be healthy. Um, but I've, I've yet to find someone who doesn't, who doesn't enjoy being strong. And I think doing basic lifts and actually working, when you're exercising, is like, what's, your goal should be to try and improve your, try to progressively load yourself, whatever it is. You know, if you're running, it's, you might, to be fair, running's not maybe the best example because I think running is a, is a good way to escape mentally. You know, there's more benefits, but you should, but you should also be looking at the time and um, trying to improve that time. So like when you're lifting, so it should be, um, you should be progressively looking to get a bit stronger or improve your mobility or your technique or whatever. It's not a case of going in there. I'm not running to burn calories. I'm not, I'm not lifting weight to burn calories. I'm in there to try and improve myself, to try and improve my, um, my bone structure, to improve my body composition. All these things is what you should be trying to improve, not trying to compare it to calories. How have you found the cold water therapy stuff you've been doing? So I know you've been, I've been stalking you on Instagram. Bit of, bit of, a bit of, a bit of, I'm absolutely beside myself with it. I just think it's, I think it's the best thing. I think it's the best thing ever. Because just for me, it's something that's completely clicked. In terms of the amount of time, I'm very lucky to live 30 meters from the water. I can, I can have the shittest day come home in a real fog yeah i could sit there and go i'm not going to do it i'm not going to do it and i'm like fuck it i'm going to go and do it and i do it i spend five minutes in a, in, a, in a you know choppy baltic water like six degrees you know the stars are out and i'm like this is for me it's for me it's putting your body in a state of stress that you've chosen to put it into and then enjoying that state of stress it's like like your your guys it's, it's um, laughter in the face of adversity. It is like I'm sat in the River X. I've got the stars, stars above me. I am such a small, insignificant part of this world. I, I and I like was reconnecting with nature, and I come out and I'm absolutely buzzing. I feel completely alive. My head's completely gone, um, and I feel in control of myself. And it's it's very very individual, right? But there that reconnecting with nature. Um, there's a fair, there's a bit there's a fair bit of science coming out out about it about dementia and especially the mental health side of things. My other the other option is I could have been sat I could have maybe watched half an hour of Netflix or something like that and you just know that the difference is that they're not not comparable. Or you could watch Netflix in the water. That'd be unbelievable. <laughs> well, phones are waterproof these days. You could do that, could you? But no, but but it's not because again, it's it's that whole digital detox, yeah. and this is so I go I go three four times a week into the into the estuary. It it breaks me because this is going to go onto social media, you know, onto onto the, the Instagram, isn't it? In terms of well, promotion, it will do, yeah. Yeah, promotions, and we'll, there'll be a snippet that goes out. Social media breaks me to to my core, 
and being linked to the phones and that digital detox is another huge area. So I was like, before when I got in there, I was like, right, I'm just going to start um, logging this. You know, do a little video while I'm doing it, stuff like that. And I'm not massively driven by the likes, but my likes and views went and the comments went rocketing up. I was like, Christ, there's, some, there's something in this. <laughs> is there something in this? And I started doing it. And then and then Jess, Jess looked at me one day and went, you've, you've, you've lost the point of what we're doing in here. You know, you're we're trying to have a digital detox. We're trying to just like be at one with the nature, and you're in there filming it. And I'm like, I, and I'm hardly putting any posts out there of, of of being in the water now, purely because that's my time, and I don't want to. I, I don't want to share it now, or not. I don't want to share it now. I want to try and help people. I'd love to. I'd love to talk to people about coming to the water and give it a go and help a few people in the village. Um, I suppose it's that fine balance between business because I'm no doubt it'd probably do my business good to to, to show it. it's another string um, from the personal coaching about talking about mental well-being and benefits you can get. Um, but then also it's like, especially with it's been fantastic for my relationship with Jess. It's like something we're we're really keen to do, and we both get a buzz coming back. Going, it's like you know when you do something you're like well done, well done, babe. That's good. We could have easily not done that. Um, so it's. Yes, I, I absolutely love it. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, I definitely feel you with the social media thing. I mean, I talk about it, I think, far too much on these podcasts about social media and how much I not hate it. It's an, it's a means to an end, but mm. at the end of the day, I, I do everything myself. So for me to promote things, I have to be on Instagram to make this, you know, I'm one of these people that doesn't like to see things fail. So if I start something, I like to see it out. So this is kind of endless, technically. (laughs) But to get people to, I'm I'm advertising everything through through Instagram and link that to Facebook. So if I don't put things on there, then people don't see it. So then people are not going to listen to this conversation that that we're having right now. So a big thing for me, especially after all the things and the horrible things I've seen over the last you know, 10, 20 years, is that I started meditating. Mm. Have you ever tried have you, have you ever tried it? I've like, ne- do you know what? I've done Headspace as, on the app. I, I've done a, I'm not very good at it, no. So when I talk about meditation, I'm not talking about, you know, hocus pocus, hippie stuff, you know, what we were talking about before. I literally just turn everything so you know Sean and the kids go to bed quite early. So I turn everything off after I watch a bit of surfing. Everything's quiet, and I'll just sit down, find a nice comfortable place, and I'll just everything's dark, and I'll just sit there and I'll just count my breaths. And I started doing fifty. It then went up to a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred. A hundred breaths will take you six minutes of just sitting there quiet, anything that comes into your head, pushing it out. Now, when I first started doing it, I thought, you know, we're doing 50 breaths, just just count it, just go one, you know, and doing that all the way through. So this is doing, this is doing nothing. But I used to go to the bed with a real fuzzy feeling in the back of my yeah, head from yeah, screens, yeah. from being, you know, at work yeah. and all that sort of thing. It's blue light, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I started wearing blue light glasses. That did help a little bit to a certain extent. But then I started sleeping better. And then from doing that, I mean, it's really, I did start doing it during the lockdown um, last year. 
and it's very intermittent. It's like yeah. yoga. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know you should stretch. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally and you agree. stretch when you're when you feel tense, or yeah. you know you. you uh, so you stretch until it's loose, and then you stop again. Yeah. And that's kind of the kind of the thing. So at the moment, I'm all right. I, I, you know, I haven't meditated in a few weeks. But I know if I actually did it, I know it's good for me and I know I should do it every single night because it's literally six to 10 minutes of quiet time. That's it. And it's done. But I just find that's something it's that really, really helps. Do you know, I love that this is, this is great because this is where, so I'm running a, a like a trial at the moment with Jess and um, like a, a bit of an online trial and we're journaling. So we've got, and I find it amazing. So we've got like they fill like a Google sheet out every night about how their day's been, walks, water, but they get they get to the bit of how's your mood, and in it it's got a drop down of like thirty things, right? And it's like I really enjoy the journaling and just being able to put on paper going, I'm ha- I have been happy today. I've also been fucking angry. I'm also annoyed. I've got that brain fog, and when I do it, I look at it. I'm like brilliant. It's almost debunking all that brain, you know, that fuzz you're talking about in the back of your head. It's that, it's that, it's almost like jotting down all the notes and things you've got to do tomorrow. If you jot them down, they don't buzz around your head. Um, and there's so many little, there's so many little life hacks that you can do to, to try and, to try and get that buzz and all that brain fog out of your head. Um, another thing we do is, this I'm attached to my phone 24/7. It's it's a pain. It's a pain in my ass. But you know, WhatsApp goes mental because I'm a 24/7 service for my clients. They WhatsApp me, go and went. What should I do here? Um, what I'm going to do a session, or I'm sore from yesterday, or what food should I eat, or what what time are we training? Um, and do you know who really suffers from it? It's my kids because I'm constantly if it's in my pocket. I'm constantly thinking, oh, I've checked just checks if I've got WhatsApp. We've now got like a phone free box where we put a charger in it. Um, like a wireless charger and we put it in the kitchen so whenever you come in it's like right phones in the box until the girls go up to bed um, so we try to have like an hour an hour and a half where we're phone free and it's amazing I don't know if you've ever broken your phone right but I've broken my phone I was panicking for about first six hours and I couldn't get it fixed for 48 hours and I, by the end of it I was loving life absolutely loving the fact that I couldn't get on my phone because I didn't have one and I love the freedom that gave me. I, I completely agree. I, I could not tell you what it was like without before mobile phones. It's it's crazy. I did something similar. I went on a surf trip to, I think it was to Portugal, Fort Ventura, a few a few years back. And stupidly, I dropped a twenty kilogram weight on the screen, smashed it. It was it was fucked. And I had this really, really old phone that I basically transferred everything over. And my main thing was that I couldn't speak to Sean. I couldn't speak to the kids. So I'd go away and my whole thing was that I've got no contact with them. But then when I was thinking about it, you know, when I first started going away, like in 2001, 2002, I was writing letters home on Blueys that took two weeks to get from wherever we were in yeah. Afghanistan or Iraq back to the UK. And then for them to rewrite a letter to come back. So I was getting le- letters, not text messages, letters or, or emails, you know, and, and, it, and it's crazy to think that we've ever, you know, in the, in the time I've been in the military, what, 21 years now, that we've gone from that to this where we are now. And the fact that 
if I don't have this phone by my side or, you know, I, I can look at it every two seconds. Oh, look, someone's just messaged me now. I've, I've looked at it five times since we're on the podcast. It's it flashed up. I'm like, oh. It's mental, isn't there's, it? There's, there's more and work again, you know, talking about your, your mental headspace, it's almost becoming a, it is an addiction. We talk about drugs and demonizing certain things. Sugar. Yeah. All, all, those, all those really, really bad things. But why is a mobile phone yeah. not bad? Okay. So you're, but you're bang on. How many people, how many people stay on their, uh, you know, we're talking about sleep. So sleep fundamental to all our decisions making. You know, if you get sleep right, you are, you, you know, you can start to make the right decisions in the right order and start to progress. How many people are on their phone? late at night just flipping 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 because all they want is likes you know what that what i'm missing what kind of thing if i like and i used to be you know I, my phone would go off and i'd check it at night and now so I, I know that's the devil i know i need to work with the devil but i also need to know i've said to myself right unless something's really unless something unless there's something really important tomorrow and i need to be contactable What's the worst that's going to happen from, say, 8.30 or 9 o'clock tonight if I don't check my phone till 5.30 tomorrow? What's the worst that's going to happen? I make sure my alarm's set and that's it. And then it's never, and it never goes off. But it takes, I, I, I'm, I'm like a, a lifestyle coach in terms of training and nutrition in the mental space a bit, bit. I find it, I find it fucking hard to do that. Yeah, it takes it. I get annoyed with myself, and some nights I'm like, I'm just gonna, I, you know what? I'm just gonna read the news. I'm just gonna read Sky Sports in bed. I want to do that, and I'm so just, I'm so, it's. I'm then asking my clients to do the same, and and I can't do it sometimes. It's like it's hard, but it takes practice. It takes like the 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 Wim Hof stuff. As soon as I, especially in the evening when the tide's right, it's amazing how much better I sleep because I I come in, we get um have a shower. And it'll read a bed or read a book. We even start playing, doing a little bit of chess. And I haven't got a Scooby-Doo about chess. But Jess and I, just like, we just need to do something that's not watching television. Or normally, to be fair, we're working. Um, as you as you'll find out when you when you leave, it's the twenty. Like your um, your career path will be doing admin at night because you're going to be on the on the tools or or on the bed or whatever the during the day. And it's it's really it's a really hard balance. And I know about it. I know. I know why I need to do it. <laughs> so I find it. It's, it's 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 huge. It's very. It's really exciting. And we're we're also in a an area where well being is with COVID being accelerated by by five years or so. So it's hundred percent like a an here and now industry, and something that I can't see get fading. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where it's taken a global pandemic to make people realise that they don't have to be in an office for nine hours a day they can do things at home but you know on the flip side of that i'm a lazy bastard as well so if i know if i'm working from home i'll be like that yeah it's like if you work in the factory i'm just going to go and hide in the toilet for an hour because that's an hour of my day i'm not packing stacking shelves yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that you know what i mean so but we're also social animals so there's there's a there's, there's a balance to be struck and i think but i think our kilter is way off as just as, as human beings at the moment and societies at the moment um, about the importance of well-being, the importance of work. Obviously, work is it doing a job that you really enjoy, working for a boss who's progressive and looking after your best best health as well. Uh, best health as 
is hugely important. Um, but we're also social animals. We we how much does how much we miss socialising? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Mate, we've been talking for nearly an hour and a half now. So uh, just to finish off, last little subject then. Um, you've just opened number six coaching at Winslow Park up in um, by Exeter, just off uh, Junction 30 of the M5. That's it, yeah. Just, uh, just explain to everybody a little bit what that's about and, and what you can provide and what you're, what you're doing there. So we got, um, so my whole, my whole belief is putting the client at the very top of the tree and providing the best best facility for that client to achieve their goals um, and if you work that back down from that tree then you want to put them with um, some really knowledgeable and well experienced coaches do you know not ones that have done a, a say a six-week course um, and are just uh, straight into it some people with some real coaching and lifestyle experiences and then you're just like well what do the coaches need well they need access to um, they need to be able to write programs and know what equipment they can have at a certain time during that session um so it's a it's a personal coaching gym based around at the moment five coaches um so it's very individual it's very much trying to build that client up that might that may have trepidations about being in the gym because gyms aren't particularly nice environments to be in they can be very intimidating so we are very much Almost a London boutique style gym. We've got a really nice lounge. I've had a custom made gym put in and it's it's I'm really, really pleased with it. It's in an eighteenth century manor house, so it's not the typical it's not your typical Marsh Barton gym. It's in a, in a different location. It's got huge amounts of outdoor space, so we're running boot camps. I'm also involved in the restaurant upstairs that's run that's chef by Matt Mason. It's probably one of the best chefs in Devon. And yeah, we've got a great we've got a great bar and restaurant upstairs as well. So it's all it's all really exciting. We're just um it's nice to be able to show people what we can do and that's what we're looking to forward to doing in the next couple of months whilst we begin the process of reopening outside initially in the restaurant and then bring people in um as and when the government allows us. Yeah, because you did start reopening after the second lockdown here, didn't you? But then it just hit again. And we opened for like a month. It was a real rush because I suppose the beauty of the lockdown is we, I was panicking. I had four, I had four PTs plus myself. We had clients and it was getting in December and we were like, Christ, are we going to get into the gym? So we rushed it, rushed it, rushed it, got into the gym. The gym was really good. It wasn't, hadn't quite finished um, some of the snagging aspects and then it was shut down. And actually what's, we were really fortunate at Wednesday, there's an outdoor covered area, like a loading bay. So we could train, you, you, you're allowed to train one-to-one PT outside or with one other person um, so we had a, 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 we, we basically beg borrowed and scrounged and got some kit and some rigs and stuff like that we had effectively an outdoor gym covered from January, February and March and there, there were some cold days that it wasn't luxury but everyone turned up because they wanted to be outside they wanted their hours break from the week or two hours break the PTs would have had to have their thermals on and it was pretty it was pretty gnarly but it's massively shown that people are a lot more resilient. And that's what I think, that's what I think coming back to the Wim Hof, everything we've spoken about here is actually people being accountable, people being resilient and actually wanting to do it and actually having something about them. And their progress is different to our progress. What they need to do is look after themselves to the best of their ability and back themselves because the human spirit is a very strong thing and i think i think they can i think think amazing things can be achieved by just having a few by having that inner drive to be able to do it 
like I said, we're, we're open now at Winslade and we've got some good coaches. So it'll be exciting to see where we can take it. So if people want to get in touch with you, what are the websites and places they can so see you? So websites is uh, number six coaching, um, sorry, admin at number six coaching.co.uk and then Winslade Park, uh, winslademanor.co.uk for um, for the restaurants and bookings. Um, and that's it. Have you still got the Tom Johnson lifestyle website running as well? Yeah. So if you want to message me directly or get in touch for any advice, then that's Tom at Tom Johnson lifestyle, um, .co.uk. Um, and the website, Tom Johnson lifestyle, um, .co.uk is also, there's a fair bit of advice, nutritional wise, exercise wise, um, on there as well. Tom, thanks for your time. And, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. Man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Next week on the podcast, I have founder of Salt Rock Clothing and now the founder of his new business venture, Threadfin Live. So tune in next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.